What I want us to focus on this morning as we continue in the book of Philippians, we are going to be in chapter 1, verse 18b. We, it's the first time in my time in ministry, especially in preaching, where I've started on the second half of a verse, but it's weird how the paragraphs are broken up. So we are starting at 18b this morning. We are finishing out in verse 30. What I want us to look at this different, or what I want us to look at this morning is how Paul was built different. And I want us to look at the importance of foundations in our lives and how just a little bit of input, if it's in the truth, can change everything for our foundations. I, uh, I have a buddy back in Texas. He is a structural engineer. And uh, I remember him telling me this story. Um, they, were, they got a call one day because a building was built and it was built off of the wrong information. This was a building that was 20 stu- 22 stories high in the little city business area of Las Colinas. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, um, it's not that building, but it's, it's close to that building, all right? It doesn't have the attitude of that building. That building thinks it made it, and you know, it's a lot more humble than that building, but it's close to it, so you might know the area. Now, this building was built off of a geotechnical report, which is a fancy word of saying, hey, based off of the land and the soil, this building is going to need to be built to these specs. And so part of the specs for the foundation of this building was that there needed to be a nine-inch gap between the soil and the concrete foundation of this basement on this building. Well, years later, my buddy gets a call. Now, he's also a structural engineer, and it had rained a lot, and also it had sprung a leak in that building. Now, the nine-inch gap that was needed for water to swell and for that soil to rise actually needed to be 12 inches. And so within the span of time of that leak happening and that foundation shifting and the dirt swelling because of all of the water, a 20 two-story building was lifted off of its piers and three inches higher on one side than the other parts of the building. So they call, yeah, big oops. They call my friend, his engineering firm, hey, we need a solution. We need to figure out if we can get this thing fixed because we have a lot of people that work in this building. And so we need to know if they're going to have to relocate. And keep in mind, this is pre-COVID days. Relocating, working outside the office used to be the weirdest thing in the world. I don't know if you guys even remember it anymore. All right? Everybody didn't just used to work from home all the time. You had 22 floors worth of people working jobs that had to be relocated because this thing was going to be too dangerous. But they figured it out. I think they got it fixed within three days. It wasn't a lot of work, but it was dangerous work digging out and going up under a 22-story building. They got it fixed. But when you look at that foundation, that foundation would have been set. That foundation would have been good if that original report had been based off of what was actually needed. If there had been truth in that report that was sufficient and applicable in reality, that situation never would have come about. Bad inputs equal bad outcomes. We see that today. We see that as we carry on throughout this book of Philippians in joy in all things. We see that in our spiritual lives, and today we see that in the life of Paul. And so today we dive in in this first chunk of Scripture, Philippians 1, 18b through 26 where Paul writes, yes, 
and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Four points today, the first of which is that joy comes in Jesus being honored. Joy in our life comes in Jesus being honored. When we start off, we look at verse 19. Paul, up to this point, everything we covered last week, Paul has been praying for this church. And every time he prays for them, he is thankful for them. I thank you. Thank you for your partnership and the gospel. Thank you that your prayers and your support for me has advanced the gospel. And now what's Paul doing? Well, the tables have turned. Now Paul is saying, I need you to pray for me. And what is Paul praying for? He's praying for deliverance. Now, on the surface, it may seem like Paul just wants out of prison, right? He wants to get out of house arrest. He is tired of that situation. But when we kind of look beneath the surface, we can see that Paul may be alluding to something much bigger, something much more overarching. Paul could actually be praying, pray for me, that in my trial, that in these hard times, that in my suffering, in my weakness, and everything that I've been through, that Christ would just call me home and pray knowing that whatever it is, whatever I'm delivered from, whether it's house arrest or whether it's the struggles of this life, know that I will be saved and that Jesus has the power to do that. In verse 20, we see in Paul's imprisonment by life or by death that he seeks to honor Jesus. In whatever circumstances Paul finds himself in, in life, the goal is always the same for him. Life or death, may Jesus be honored. And so if that is the purpose for Paul as a follower of Jesus, that is the purpose for us. We should seek to honor Jesus in everything we do. And so we need to dig a little bit deeper into what was Paul alluding to when he said that Christ may be honored. How is Jesus honored? in the life of Paul. Well, we see that Jesus is honored when we find security in our salvation. Now, this is a little bit tricky language just on the surface, but when he says that I should not be ashamed, Paul is not talking about, don't pray for me that I would be unafraid to share the gospel. No, Paul was not afraid to share the good news of Jesus. No, what Paul is talking about is pray for me that I may be assured of my salvation that I may know what Jesus has done for me, that I may know that I am his, and may I, that I may know that nothing can take that away from me. May there be security in my salvation, and may I base everything in my life off of that. So Jesus is honored when we find security 
in our foundation, in our salvation, and when that becomes our foundation. And the next thing we see is that Jesus is honored when we live a life of courageous obedience that is based off of that foundation. When we do that, we make Jesus the cornerstone of our life. When Jesus, when we become so assured of our faith in him, when we realize that our salvation is so secure, well, now that's a foundation that is built off of truth. That is something that we can continue to build off of. And then Jesus not only is our foundation, but he becomes our cornerstone. That means that everything in our life can be built around him. That means every decision that we make in our lives is processed through him, whether that's in our families, how we spend time with and love each other, whether that's our family should grow or stay the same, whether that is in our finances and how we spend and how we steward and how we handle our money, whether that's in our careers. Maybe the next step isn't a promotion. Maybe the next step is for you to stay and to serve, and to love right where God has you. It's not always follow the money when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. That means that Jesus is the point of processing for our free time, and the things that we do for fun, and our passions, and our hobbies. But that also means that Jesus is Lord over our alone time, where real character shines through, where our true relationship with Jesus is put to the test when temptation comes our way. So Jesus is honored through the foundation of us being assured of our salvation and knowing that that is secured and that is not going anywhere. And then furthermore, Jesus is honored when we are obedient to him and anything he calls us to do, we go after. So the question is, are we honoring Jesus in our lives? Are we honoring Jesus by knowing that we are secured in our salvation in him if we have repented of our sins, if we have put faith in him to save us, if we have made him Lord of our lives. And then the question is, are we being obedient based off of him being our cornerstone? Now we honor Jesus regardless of what lies ahead, regardless of the call on our life. And we see that in Paul's life. Paul was confident. Whatever lies before me, Jesus will supply me the grace and Jesus will supply me the strength to get through this. Paul knew that the same God that saved him would be the same God that would sustain him. And I know that there are trying times in a lot of lives in this room right now. And I want you to know, and I want you to find joy and take peace in the fact that the same God that saved you from your sin is the same God, is the the all-powerful God that will see you through whatever struggle you are going through right now. Now, we will learn here in a little bit that suffering is part of our walks with Jesus. But in our suffering, we can relate to him. In our suffering, by his grace, by his strength, we get through it. Second point this morning, we see this in verse 21, is that joy comes in living in Jesus for others. Joy comes in living in Jesus for others. Verse 21, so powerful, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now when Paul writes this, 
He is not setting his life up around building himself up a following. He is not setting his life up around creating a comfortable lifestyle. He is not trying to amass people just to do whatever he says. He is not trying to advance his own agenda. No, when Paul says this, he is seeking God's agenda. He is seeking to display the kingdom through love and through the service to others and for the advancement of the gospel. He kind of goes on in verse 22 and 23 to explain it a little bit more. Now, when he sets this up, this next kind of discourse that Paul is working through, uh, he's kind of using a literary exercise where he's saying, if I had the choice, then I'm going to weigh this one against this one. And that kind of shows us, okay, if I live, because to live is Christ, then X, Y, Z. But if I die, then X, Y, Z. Now, we know that God is sovereign. We know that Paul doesn't have a choice in this. And we know that whatever God calls Paul to do, that Paul will submit and be obedient in. But he kind of breaks it down. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In verse 22, to live is Christ. To keep on living is to be of use to Jesus. And it's to be of use to others. But to die that is to go get to be with Jesus fully. And to go get to be with Jesus fully is even better. Whatever God has for me, Paul is saying, I am in and I am in 100%. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, this is a battle cry for those of you that are full of angst and worry and anxiety. This was a favorite verse of mine when I was feeling God's call to ministry in my life in my later teenage years, man, this is like a Holy Spirit-filled Nirvana lyric. It is powerful. But essentially what Paul is saying, and to live as Christ, to die as gain, is that everything I have, everything I am is yours, God, until I am with you, until I am completely yours. And what we see in this verse is it clarifies some things. In the life of the church, it clarifies some things in the life of the believer. And the first thing is death. It clarifies death for us. In this verse, we see that for the believer, death is victory for those who put their faith in Jesus. Death means no more pain, no more weakness, no more struggle. We've been in a season of a lot of death over the past few months in this church. And death takes its toll. And this completely flips everything on its head. What this says is all of those that we have loved so dearly, that we have lived a life so nearly to, every single one of those people that is no longer with us is now with Jesus. And because they are with Jesus, they are not suffering anymore. But what they are experiencing is pure joy, pure bliss, pure perfection. And there is nothing that they are experiencing right now that would ever make them want to come back to the suffering of this life. Their race has been won. They have crossed the finish line. So as believers, death is the finish line. Death is our victory. Death is our reward. There is an awesome lyricist named Micah Kennard of a metal band I grew up listening to that loves Jesus as well. And he wrote a lyric that says, If death is victory, how afraid of life can we be? And since I was 18 years old, I've been trying to work that into a sermon. I am so glad (laughs) that that worked out this morning. It's true. If death is victory, 
How afraid of life can we be? We see Paul, even longing for death, finds that it is more necessary for him if he stays for the sake of the Philippians. We see this in verse 24. Again, he doesn't have any say in this whatsoever. This is all God, but he is weighing it out so that they know that in his coming to them that it is a big deal. So why is he coming? Why is he desiring to go back to this church in Philippi? Why is he desiring to go back to these believers? We see that it is for their progress. It is for their progress and their joy. And for them, progress would be that they would grow spiritually. That is my desire for you, church, that you would grow spiritually, that you would be plugged into this church, not just on Sunday mornings. That's like trying to get fit and only working out once a week. That's like trying to lose weight but only eating one diet meal a week. It doesn't work. You've got to be plugged in to the source. Be plugged in to community. Progress is growing spiritually. Understanding the gospel in your life, understanding what Jesus has done for you, and understanding how to live that out for the sake of others so that we can advance the gospel, not just in our families, not just in our workplaces, but to the community that God has called us to be a part of, the community God has called us to live in. And the second reason that it is necessary for Paul to go back to these believers in Philippi is glory in Jesus. Now, Paul is talking from a high place here. Paul knows that based off of the place where he is with Jesus, based off of his spiritual maturity, that when he goes back, he's kind of returning as a spiritual Kool-Aid man, all right? He's busting in, he's breaking down the wall, he's saying, oh yeah, all the glory of Jesus is now upon you because your boy is back, okay? Uh, Man, what a place to be able to say that, huh? (laughs) Pretty awesome. But Paul knowing who Jesus is in his life. Paul knowing the pain and the suffering that he has been through and Jesus has shown him the grace and given him the strength to get through. Paul knows that he will also be able to help these Philippian believers get through the same. Paul was willing to make sacrifices so that others could grow spiritually. I love that. I love that example. And I see so many believers in this church that follow that example that are willing to make sacrifices in your lives, in their lives, so that other people can honor, worship, and grow in Jesus. And so if that is you, if you are a part of the church that has said, I do not want to just be a consumer, but I want to be on the ground. I want to be in the trenches with this body of believers. I want to make sure that because of my service, because of my sacrifice, whether that's in my time, in my strength, in my energy, in my finances, in any other resources I have, because of what I am going to sacrifice, God will use. And when God uses that, it will be for the benefit of others. And so if that is you, and you are in here this morning, know that there is not a church plant around that could survive without people like you. But there is not a healthy church alive that isn't filled with people like you. So thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for getting up early on Sunday mornings and sweating your butt off with me and the rest of the guys. Thank you for staying after, putting chairs up, making sure we get out of this place so we don't have to pay the school more money to use it any longer than we already do. Thank you 
if you served in kids last week and you are in here this morning, not just for putting up with these awesome kids, all right? They're awesome in my house, at least our two, most of the week. I know they're way more awesome on Sunday morning. Thank you for serving our kids. I can't think of a more important place in the life of our church to serve than the next generation and making sure that the gospel and the love of Jesus is instilled in them. Every single bit of that takes sacrifice. And every single one of you, we are called to make that sacrifice. If you are in Jesus, we sacrifice so others can come to know Jesus, so that the lost can be found. And when the lost are found, that the found are strengthened, are equipped, and are encouraged. So, if that is you, thank you. Now, also, in this saying, to live is Christ, to die is gain, I also would like to address something that can be a cancer in so many churches. And that is that there may be a physical age of retirement in our lives. Many of you, I know, are retired. And retirement from work is not a problem whatsoever. Hey, enjoy your vacation. You've earned it. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is no such thing as retirement. That means we can't come to church and say, well, I've put in my time in this ministry or that ministry, and my time is up. That's not how it works. Could you imagine if Jesus got right before the cross and he said, you know what, I've really put in my time. That would stink for all of us. Imagine that. Sin, not paid for. Broken people, not put back together. Lost people, experiencing the wrath of God because of the sin in which we've sinned against each other and against him. No atoning sacrifice on our behalf because Jesus, right before the race was almost won, said, you know what? I've done enough. Now, there couldn't be an attitude that is more anti-gospel and that will tear a church apart and make a church grow stagnant and dormant any faster than the mentality of, I've put in my time. Now, your time may look different than it looked before. You may be in a different place physically in life. You may be in a different place chronologically in life. But every single one of us that are part of a body of believers are called to serve, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul does not say to live as Christ until you've had enough and then you just call it off. Paul isn't saying this sitting on a beach drinking a pina colada saying, I did a pretty good job planning all these churches. No, Paul kept going until his life was taken from him. So, taking all of this into account, we have to ask ourselves, do I have the courage to honor Jesus regardless of the outcome? Am I confident in my salvation even when it is opposed? And am I serving others out of selflessness for their spiritual growth? Now, Paul was able to answer these questions differently because he was built different. But what made him built different? What made Paul built different is that his life was built off of something different. It was built off of good input. There was a good report that Paul based everything off of, and that is the truth of who God is and what Jesus did for him. It wasn't based off the lies of the world. It was based off of what Jesus explains in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, when he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, much like most of you experienced last night. 
but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now Paul's foundation was different because it wasn't built on the things of the world. It wasn't built on the things that the people in Philippi were struggling with. It wasn't built on the hopelessness of the people that would have been hopeless in Rome as he was on house arrest. No, it was built off the foundation of Jesus. Jesus was his cornerstone, and he was secure in Jesus. And so because of that, he was able to keep pushing forward. No matter how bad things got, he was able to find joy in it because his life was built on something of substance. And not just something that was a little bit more sturdy than what everybody else was following, but on the sturdiest of things, on the truth of Jesus. And it's in this we march forward. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, am, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Third point this morning is to live like you have been died for. Live like you have been died for. We get to this. But first, Paul kind of starts things off by saying, whether I'm there or not, you are to live the same. Any of my teachers in the house know what this feels like. Anytime that you get sick, anytime you have a doctor's appointment, anytime you have to be out of the classroom for five seconds, let alone an entire day, you have to give your, your students that substitute talk, okay? I know I was a bad student growing up, okay? I got a lot of, hey, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I need you to behave. And the whole night I was dreaming of how I could misbehave. Paul is saying, whether I'm there or not, you are to act the same. Teachers, whether you're there or not, your students are still called to do the same work. They're still called to behave the same way. What Paul is saying is live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Please, if I am to die, let it have counted for something. Please, if you are to live, live like Jesus died for you, because he did. Now, Paul goes into another idea here, and it's an idea of citizenship. And it's a, it's a fun idea, and these guys would have known exactly what it meant. And I think we know what it means to be citizens, to be proud of the place that we live I love being a citizen of America. I love my country. I love the freedom that I have because I am an American. I love ballpark hot dogs. I love sport. Not just one, just sport in general. If it's a competition, yeah, sign me up. I want to crush somebody because I'm American, okay? <laughs> and my victories in Jesus. I love apple pie. I love Chuck Norris. I love everything good about this country. But as much as I am a citizen of America, I am an immigrant in this country. 
I am a sojourner. I am an exile because my true citizenship does not belong here. My true citizenship belongs in heaven. Verse 27, Paul is saying, essentially, act like you are citizens of heaven. Now, this would have rang very true for the citizens of Philippi, just as it rings true for us as citizens of America. They would have been proud to live in Philippi. This is where Rome sent their military to retire. When they retired there, they didn't have to pay taxes. Can I get an amen? Let's go. This is a big deal. When these people lived in Philippi, they received Roman citizenship. That's just as big of a deal as American citizenship. So these people would have identified with this idea of being a citizen of a place. And so what Paul is saying in this underlying tone is that act as though you are citizens of heaven. Because you are citizens of heaven, realize it. And as citizens of heaven, don't look to Caesar. Caesar is a man that thinks himself a God, that fancies himself a God, but is not a God. Your allegiance is to God and to his kingdom. And as citizens of heaven, here's how you are supposed to live. One spirit, one mind, one direction. And that's not a boy band from back in the day. Work together in the defense of the gospel for those that come in opposition against the church, but work together in offense in taking the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins. That if we believe in him, we should inherit eternal life. Take that out. It's not just the defense of, oh, the world hates us and playing the victim. No, we have a job to do. We have a mission to fulfill, a mission to accomplish. And that is taking the good news out of the walls of the church and into the lives of other people. Paul is saying, if you stay together, if you band together, you will not get picked off. In verse 28, he's saying, don't be a coward. You have each other. You have salvation from God. So whether you live or whether you die, you win. Your victory is in Jesus, the only one that lived a perfect life, the only one that died and conquered death, the only one that doesn't have a marked grave because he rose from that grave. Forty days later went to be with the Father in heaven. Now, as a church today, we live in a time where we will meet opposition. I think we are starting to meet it very slightly on a legislative front. I think we have definitely met it on a cultural front. We haven't met it on a physical front, not in the United States. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus all across the world are, and they are losing their life for the sake of the gospel. But we will be opposed we will be opposed because of what we hold true, because of what we will not let go of. And that is the exclusivity of Jesus, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That is our firm foundation of God's design, God's design in marriage, God's design in gender, God's plan for sexuality inside of marriage and outside of marriage, God's design for the family, our handling of our finances, all of these things will look much different from the world. And when we are swimming against the current, then the rest of the fish going with the current are going to start to get annoyed. They're going to start to pick up on something is different. We need to remember that truth is truth, that sin is sin. And we need to know and band together in what we believe. 
especially on these things. Because if we don't, as Paul is stating, we will be overtaken. So live in unity as the church. Read your Bible. Spend time praying. Sunday morning is not enough. Dig deep. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, the times ahead will be much harder than the times we are living in now. And finally, we close out with the biggest bummer ever. We need to know that if we believe, we will suffer. If we believe, we will suffer. Paul explains this in verse 29 and 30. And we see that not only did Jesus suffer for us, but now Paul is using his own life as an example of what to expect. But he also flips this on his head. Just like Jesus flipped everything on its head in his ministry, Paul is flipping suffering on its head. And Paul is actually teaching that suffering is a gift from God. Now that's countercultural to the world. Suffering is a thing we try to avoid most, but what we see is that in suffering, we actually identify even more with Jesus. We actually can identify even more with Paul when we are living our lives for Jesus, when we are persecuted for Jesus, we can expect suffering. And Jesus says this about it. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, if we suffer for centering our lives around the gospel and making sure that others know it, is there any suffering in your life? I think suffering has been something, we've, we've become like Floyd Mayweather, right, when it comes to suffering. We can just bob and weave that all day long. We can dodge it, left, right. We have been swift to get suffering out of our lives. But I think in doing that, we've become weaker as believers. We start to identify less and less with the suffering that Jesus took on our behalf. We start to identify less and less with the suffering that Paul went through. And this thing is a gift, and so if we aren't suffering for the sake of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? And I'm not trying to address suffering as something we need to prolong or we need to put off or we need to avoid any longer. No, I think we need to really get to the bottom of it and ask ourselves the question, why am I not suffering? Why aren't people opposed to Jesus in my life? And I think if we're being honest, it's because when we leave this place, we look just like the rest of the world. We were not called to look like the rest of the world. We can put on a mask when we show up on Sunday morning and play Christian really well. But when we leave this place, we're not. We hide away in our homes. We avoid relationship. We avoid confrontation. We, we avoid conversation. And so if there is no suffering for the sake of Jesus in your life, ask yourself the question, why is that? Is it because I'm not living for Jesus? Is it because I'm a chameleon in whatever situation I find myself in? but also for those of you that are suffering for the sake of Jesus, that have lost friendships, that have lost family members, that have lost people that you care dearly for because you took the gospel seriously, because you loved them enough that you didn't want them to die and go to hell, then you must be doing something right. The world does not persecute their own. 
So that means you must be contrary to the world. That means you must be living in Jesus. Let's take inventory this morning. Are we living for Jesus or are we just saying we do? Is this just an hour, five hours out of our week? Are we actually living this thing out in the example that Paul set? Are we seeking to follow his example as he seeks to follow the example of Christ? Let's not avoid it any longer. Let's embrace it. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be some hard conversations. But I'd much rather have a hard conversation with someone here than to get to heaven and Jesus to say, what did you make of me? And have a hard conversation there because I have to tell him that I hid from confrontation with other people. I wasn't persecuted because I looked just like the rest of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help us to find joy in you being honored. That we would honor you in you being the secure, firm foundation that we build our life off of. I pray that we would make you the cornerstone of our lives, that there is not anything that we stack on top of our lives that isn't first stacked upon you. I pray that you would be the filter that we process everything through, that we would ask the question, are you in this? What are you calling me to do? Jesus, who are you calling me to be? And Jesus, as we are obedient to you off of that secure foundation, I pray that we would find joy in being you, little versions of you, Christians, for the sake and for the lives of those around us, whether that's serving here at church, stepping out of being a consumer and starting to be on the productive side of things for the kingdom of heaven, starting to advance your gospel. I pray that we would find joy in stepping out of our selfishness and stepping into our selflessness. And Jesus, I pray that we would live like we have been died for, that we realize the sacrifice that you made for us, that we would be made right with the Father, that we would be made new, made clean, and given a purpose. Help us to live our lives out of that purpose. And when persecution comes, because we have taken that seriously, because we start living out of the part that you gave us to play in your bigger story, then I pray that we would take joy in even the suffering, knowing that in our suffering, we relate to you all the more. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.